Okay, so what's gonna happen is we will go up there, we will pretend like we're boyfriend and girlfriend, tell your parents we're engaged, uh, use the miles for the tickets, and I guess I will pop for you to fly first class, but make sure you use the miles. If we don't get the miles, we're not doing it. Oh, and please confirm the vegan meal, okay? Because last time they actually gave it to a vegan, and they uh, forced me to eat this clammy, warm, creamy salad thing, which was, hey, I'm s why aren't you taking notes? I'm sorry, were you not in that room? What? Oh, 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 the thing you said about being promoted? Genius, genius, you completely fell for it. I was serious. I'm looking at a $250,000 fine and five years in jail. That changes things. Promote you to editor? No. Then I quit and you're screwed. Bye-bye, Margaret. Andrew. really has been a little slice what? of Andrew, heaven. Andrew, fine, fine. I'll make you editor, fine. If you do the Alaska weekend and the immigration interview, I will make you, I will make you editor. Happy? And not in two years, right away. Fine. And you'll publish my manuscript. 10,000 copies, first 20, run. 20,000 copies, first run. And we'll tell my family about our engagement when I want and how I want. Now, ask me nicely. Ask me nicely what? Ask me nicely to marry you, Margaret. What does that mean? You heard me, on your knee. Uh, does, does this work for you? Oh, I like good? this, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, will you marry me? No. Say it like you mean it. Andrew? Yes, Margaret. Sweet. Andrew? I'm listening. Would you please, with cherries on top, marry me? Okay. I don't appreciate the sarcasm, but I'll do it. Good. See you at the airport tomorrow. Good. Good morning, church. Today, I want you to welcome Ted Cunningham, his beautiful wife, Amy, and their two kids, Corinne and Carson, are our guests today. Uh, he's the most requested guest that we have at, at the church. And I, today, I want you to know that uh, I'm believing God is going to use them in a great way today as they minister to you. Uh, Ted is the founding and the senior pastor of Woodland Hills Family Church in Branson, Missouri, noted author and speaker on family issues, regular guest on Focus on the Family. Uh, he is a great friend and a great man of God. Put your hands together and welcome Ted Cunningham this morning. Raise your hand if you think that was the most romantic proposal you've ever seen. How many of you have a romantic proposal story? Like your, your proposal was romantic. Raise your hand. All right, let me ask it another way. How many ladies say, if we could go back, there's some things he could do better? <laughs> Raise your hand. All right. Well, see, let me tell you, there's something he has now called money that he may be able to make it better. I remember. How many of you are old school that uh, before you would ask uh, someone to be, like you're going to ask a lot of people to be your wife, but before you would ask the lady, you ask the dad. How many of you are still into asking the dad and all the hands go up? You're like, no, that's old school. Move on from that dad. I was gonna. Before I asked Amy Freetag to be my wife, I had to get permission from her six foot two, full-blooded Norwegian father. He's pretty much a Viking, okay? 
and just a little intimidating. So in Fremont, Nebraska, I'll never forget in the late fall of 1996, walking into the kitchen and asking Dennis Freetag, may I marry your daughter, to which he responded in his thick Norwegian accent, you betcha. And I said, but only under one condition. I had graduated college. She had one year of college left. I said, the only way uh, I will marry your daughter this year is if you allow me to pay for her senior year of college. To which he said, you betcha. (laughs) And a lot of guys will ask me, how in the world did you do that? It's this crazy thing we call a job. Andy Stanley said it a a few months back. He said, if he can't afford to marry you, he can't afford you. And you are worth affording. And all the women said, boy, are you awake in this service or not? You're like, where are we going with this one? Well, it is great to be back. Today we're going to talk and give a framework that you can take with you to every romance movie you watch. How many of you are romance movie watchers, right? How many of you prefer Mel Gibson in some sort of war movie? Isn't it something? Mel Gibson's been in every single war. <laughs> and I don't know why I get to be a part of this series, because a few weeks back, I referenced Mel Gibson's movie, The Patriot. And I don't keep track of details all that well in movies. They're supposed to be enjoyed, and so I didn't stick with it. So I was using this example in a sermon, and I kept referring to the movie The Patriot as the Civil War. And half the people that know the movie, the other half didn't get it. But some of my historians in the congregation were like, I don't think I can go here anymore. He can't even get the right war. And at the, I, didn't, I didn't even know what was going on, but I'm using it. And again, when you go with an illustration, you gotta stay, you got to be convicted by it and move. So, man, we were in the Civil War. And I was confusing the Patriot and the Dixie Stampede. So uh, <laughs> at the end of the service... The altars were flooded, and I'm up there going, Lord, you have spoken mightily through your servant today. This is amazing. People's hearts are changing. No, they were all coming forward to tell me, hey, moron, it was the Revolutionary War. We're going to a new church next week. So anyway, I can do the proposal because I love talking about marriage and family. So this today is a framework for you to take into the movies with you especially the movie like The Proposal, and many of you have seen it, but you know there's all sorts of issues going on there, character issues and chemistry issues. So today we're going to put all of that into context. But before we do, we're going to look at this big idea because our culture has seen way too many eHarmony and Match.com commercials. And again, I'm not against online dating. I believe, I believe it's very... Uh, It's a very viable option so long as you pursue traditional relationship formation. The problem we have today is everyone is is looking at those commercials and they're saying it's all about chemistry, it's all about compatibility. So here's the big thought for the morning. A good match is a good start. A good match is a good start, but it never will sustain a thriving marriage. Only character does that. Decisions to stay married, decisions to enjoy life together flows from Character. So today, we're going to talk about how character trumps chemistry every single time. And before we do, we're going to look at four marriage trends that we're, we're 
studying and researching. And again, I'm just going to cover the highlights of these. And for those of you who are note takers and studiers and researchers, I'll give you some of the places to go and check this out. But you can continue this study on your own. Because more than likely, all four trends are in here right now. And if not, you know someone that's in one of these trends. And we're asking you to be the backup singer to that relationship. We believe every marriage is a duet in need of great backup singers. And we're going to see that today in the Song of Songs. But let's look at this first trend. It's called delayed marriage. The average age for men to get married the first time today is 29, and for women it's 27. We're telling our young people that it's better that you wait as long as possible and get your life set up before you weigh yourself down with a spouse. And so think about it in, in, in these terms. There are five milestones of adulthood that have been the same in every generation. Okay, I see, I see my gray-haired friends, and just so you know, when I say gray-haired friends, I'm from Branson, Missouri. That's a term of endearment. So we, we love you. When I, these are the same five milestones from your generation, from my generation, and my children that I am raising, and here they are. Leave home, finish school or any training or apprenticeship that you might need. Number three, get a job. Number four, get married. Number five, start a family. Now, the difference between my generation and my gray-haired friends is this. My gray-haired friends completed those five milestones in a very short period of time, if not in the same week. <laughs> Didn't you? And your parents and your grandparents. You left home. And why? Because you were handed a massive amount of responsibility. From a very young age, you were told, it's time for you to take on the responsibility of work, and it's time for you to take on the responsibility of relationships. Today, as part of this delayed marriage trend, we have this big idea called prolonged adolescence. Too much privilege, not enough responsibility. And so what happens is we take those five milestones and we've stretched them out on this gap between childhood and adulthood called prolonged adolescence. The gap is growing so large, one UCLA professor believes we need to add another gap in between adolescence and adulthood called youthhood. And I'm just one young, maybe uh, naive pastor who believes, I got another idea. Instead of adding another gap, let's just start challenging young people to grow up. Let's challenge them with responsibility. And all the young people are like, I hate this guy. What a moron. I'm with his congregation. Can't get wars right. Why should I listen to him now? So... But the problem is we've, we've taken it and we've stretched it out in some cases 10, 15, 20 years. We've told people you don't need to grow up. Wait. Put marriage at the end of the adulthood milestones. Get your degrees. Get your job. Make some money. Get your first place. Get your life established. Christian parents and pastors are even giving this message that says if you're going to be successful in marriage, you need to learn how to be independent. And independence has become a socially acceptable term for selfishness. Go learn to live by yourself and for yourself before you weigh yourself down. Why are so many of our counseling sessions today with young couples, it's just now in their 30s and sometimes in their 40s, waking up to this idea, I'm a little boy. I'm a little girl. I tell young ladies all the time, listen, he's 35, I know, but he's just now starting to understand what responsibility means. Whereas 100 years ago, he would have learned this in his teen years. I need you to stick with him while he grows up. And I love how Dr. Moeller puts this. He says, get married and grow up together. 
And we're seeing this in the church more and more with delayed marriage, that, that young people are getting married and finding out we still need to grow up. We don't need to wait until we have it all figured out before we pursue a covenant in marriage. That's just the first one. Are you encouraged yet? Let's move on to the second one. The second one, uh, this one, Dr. Scott Stanley is really, this has become his passion. He's a researcher at the University of Denver, and he calls it sliding versus deciding. Sliding versus deciding. In traditional relationship formation, you make decisions. Oh, I see Amy. I want to marry her. Well, okay, I'm sorry. We should probably date first. I want to date her. So I'm going to ask her out. Then I'm going to decide to get a ring. Then I am going to ask her dad. I'm going to get engaged. I am going to now together where uh, Amy and I, if she says yes, right, I'm now setting a date. We're, pay- we're making decisions. That was traditional relationship formation. Today, and we see this the most in cohabitation, we're not looking at those solid decisions. We're just sliding past all of those decisions. You go on a date. You like each other, you seem to hit it off, you go on a second date. You go on a third date. By the third date, maybe you're even considering sleeping with one another. By the the third or fourth time you're sleeping together, it just doesn't make sense to go home uh, afterwards. I'll just spend the night. And and now it doesn't make a whole lot of sense now months later for me to to get up and, and go get ready at my house before I go to work. Can I just have a drawer? And then, oh, let me get half the closet. And pretty soon you're living together and you're like, How did this happen? It happened because you slid into all of it. When I meet with cohabitating couples, I always like to separate and and ask them, if you you didn't have so much shared responsibility now, would you you get married? Because a lot of times they sit there with their hands in their head going, I I don't know how we got here. You know one reason cohabitators stay together? This is one factor. This just shocks me when I think about it. A shared pet. I mean, think about this. You're on a date. You go to Walmart. There's that guy with his truck in the parking lot and the little children's pen with puppies. And now the course of your life is set (laughs) over a little puppy in the parking lot. What? You share bills. Maybe you signed a lease together. Five, six years later, you're asking the question, how did we get here? You didn't make decisions. You slid into all of that. Okay, if that doesn't encourage you, there's a third trend. A third trend we call dating while divorcing. We see this more and more on Facebook, right? I'm gonna, I, I've, I separated from my wife a month or two ago, and here's a picture or a selfie with me and the new lady I'm dating. And, and then, then, this is the part, this is one of the reasons I may have to get off Facebook because I'm exhausted by it, I really am. It's wearing me out to watch followers of Jesus go on and hit the like button. And I'm sitting there going, what? Wait a second, I, I'm not going to hit like on that. And then people will be like, well, why don't you? You don't want me to be happy? I, I want you to be happy and married. I mean, we're working so hard. To, and you've got kids. I want you to be with your kids. I want you to leave this woman and go be reconciled to your wife and children. And, and you're over here celebrating a new relationship while I'm mourning the death of your marriage. I, I, don't, I don't understand this. I don't, no, 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 we can't do this. I call it, and maybe this is too graphic, but I call it bringing a date to a funeral. A man's wife dies four days later, we're at the funeral, and he shows up with a date. 
the children, the family, the friends are gathered around to mourn the death of this loved one, and he's there with a date holding hands and getting affectionate. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 you got, we're still in mourning. And as a Christian, how do we mourn? We mourn with hope. We believe Jesus died and rose again, and he breathes life into dead people, and he breathes life into dead marriages. So no, I will not hit the like button. No, I will not celebrate your new relationship after you moved out of your home for one month. I am still going to hold out hope that your marriage can be restored. Dating while divorcing. You bring social media into it, and now it's like, who's going to be for me and who's going to be against me? We want to be advocates for marriage. You're like, Ted, certainly grandma and grandpa's marriages say, sorry, that's the fourth trend. It ain't even safe. We call this graying divorce. You can look this up. This was in the Wall Street Journal. This is in the New York Times. It's really just hit the news in the last couple of years. But about 50 years ago, the divorce rate for those over the age of 50 was 2.8%. In 1990, the divorce rate among those over 50 was 1 in 10, so roughly 10%. Today, it's 1 in 4. Actually, slightly higher than that. It's anywhere, it's around 28% of those over 50 who said, we raised our kids. We don't even uh, have that much in common anymore. And we're seeing the movies on this come out. Let's, let's go and live the life we feel we got ripped off on when we were raising our kids. We spent all those years, decades, raising our children. Now it's some me time, and it's time for me to have some fun. Well, I hope today to encourage you, if you're not encouraged already, uh, <laughs> with these trends. I believe, and you know it's my passionate life verse, Ecclesiastes 9.9. It says, endure life with your wife all your miserable days. I love saying that at, at some conservative churches when they don't have their Bible turned to that, and I always get a few, mm. That's good. That's good. That's not what it says. It says, enjoy life with your wife all your miserable days. No, all your meaningless days. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all your meaningless days. In other words, the grind of life, it's tough. It's a challenge. You and I, we are born into this grind. Solomon says, you know, uh, generations come and generations go, but the earth endures forever. And we're born into this grind for a little bit, as Moses put it, 70 years maybe, 80 if we're strong. No matter how much money you make, you can't buy your way out of it. No matter how many degrees you get, you can't outsmart it. We're in this grind, but God has blessed you with a spouse to go through the grind with. And to not turn your spouse into the grind is part of the passion of this message. That you would learn to enjoy life with your wife. Guys, if you, if you go home and turn on the eHarmony or Match.com commercial and begin thinking, oh, I want to enjoy life like that again, but I can't do it with her. And you begin thinking the grass is greener. And I've shared this with you before, but don't ever forget it. Where the grass is greener, there is a septic leak. And it's nasty. <laughs> Stay home and water your own lawn. For a good time, call home. So let's, let's jump into this. The Song of Songs, chapter 1. As we look at this first big idea that great marriages flow from character, not chemistry and compatibility. Character trumps chemistry and compatibility every time. The culture, the movies, everything leads you to believe you've got to find the soulmate. 
which I don't have time to get into this today. We really get the idea of soulmate from Plato, not the Bible. Okay, so this whole idea, and some of you are like, you better develop that a little bit more. I won't. I'm just going to leave it out there for you. Because we have so prioritized chemistry and compatibility, we forget that great marriages flow from character. You look around at my senior friends who have stayed in a marriage. Guess what? They, from, they stayed committed not because they have so much in common. They stayed committed because of character. Decisions on commitment flow from character. Guess what? The decision to enjoy life together flows from the exact same place, from your character. Because chemistry changes, compatibility changes. So let's jump right into chapter 1, verse 1. Solomon's Song of Songs. And I love this. This this eight-chapter book in your Bible, it's a duet between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. He's the shepherd king, and she is a simple country gal. And they sing back and forth these beautiful lyrics to each other all throughout this book, and I love it. And, and in the, the beautiful text, there's the daughters of Jerusalem. And the daughters of Jerusalem, they're the ones that, that echo. They're like the backup singers. They're the doo girls that come in. And they praise, they rejoice, they delight in the love of Solomon and the Shulamite. And, and hopefully in the next year, we're, we're in Branson, country music uh, capital of the world. We're going to do an entire country music version of all eight chapters of the Song of Solomon with classic hits to current hits. So we'll let you know about it. Maybe we'll do it here sometime. But this is a song. It's a beautiful song. It's a compilation CD. It's a, it's a playlist of all of these beautiful lyrics where they're building towards the exclusivity of marriage. One man, one woman enjoying life together. But it starts with the Shulamite woman singing and speaking these deeply uh, sexual and, and full of desire, right? These lyrics are full of desire. And so... Verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. It's refreshing, it's relaxing, it's rejuvenating, it's intoxicating. This idea of intoxicating love flows throughout this whole book. Verse 3, pleasing is the fragrance of his perfumes. And then we get this idea, your name, very important phrase in the scripture. We see this in Ecclesiastes 7, 1 as well, a good name is better than fine perfume. So a good name speaks to someone's character. It says a good name is like perfume poured out. To keep it culturally relevant, where I'm from in Branson, Missouri, I tell our congregation, your name is like honey oozing over a Bob Evans biscuit. <laughs> and some of you, you're having that thought right now, and, it, and it's, it's a good picture. So when your name's brought up in conversation, it's a good thing. No wonder the young women love you. That's a very important line right there because that's the source of great insecurity throughout this whole book. She begins this negative narrative in her head that just says, you know what, why, why in the world would he want to be with me? He's got his choice. He's got the money. He's got the fame. He's got the women to choose from. Why in the world would he want me? She says in verse 4, the desire turns sexual. She says, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Key here to understand, they're not yet married. That's why later in the book you're going to see this idea of do not arouse or awaken love until it's time. When is it time to fulfill sexual desire? After a wedding. I'll say that again. When is it time to fulfill sexual desire? After a wedding, which you get to in chapter 3 of this book. She says, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his bedroom or into his chambers. She begins speaking here of his character. And I think we have a difficult time of, of uh, deciphering and 
separating character and chemistry in the church. Let me give you an idea on chemistry. I always love to use the personalities. Uh, John Trent and Gary Smalley years ago put animals to these personalities, but I, I, I just put an alliteration to it. You have the powerful personality, the party personality, the pleaser personality, and the precise personality. Give you an illustration. If I had a 2,000 piece puzzle up here right now and I dumped it out on this table and I started grabbing chunks of the pieces and just throwing them out to everyone in here, your personality, the way you respond to that, is, is going to tell how you interact with those people around you and it's going to tell how you interact in marriage. The powerful personality, which I am, which just to break it to you, Alex Amaya is. Uh, the powerful personality would see everybody with these pieces and we'd start organizing and getting very boisterous. All right, I need all my sky over there. I need ocean over there. I need flowers over there. Let's get this thing done. That's what a powerful personality does. Maybe you're married to that personality. The party personality, they couldn't care less if the puzzle ever gets put together. <laughs> but they're like, this is fun. He's throwing things at us. <laughs> I like this church. That's party personality. The pleaser personality, right, the pleaser personality is, is like, I, I want to get the puzzle done. I don't care how long it takes so long as we do it together. <laughs> I want us to have fun. I want us to do it together. Get to know each other while we put them. Have you ever done a puzzle with somebody? This is why Amy and I, we don't do puzzles. Because I'm like, let's get it done. And she's like, well, let's talk as we do it. I ain't got time to talk. I'm going to spend four hours just turning all these stupid pieces over. Until I came up with the idea of a double-sided puzzle. Yeah, I make a bunch of money on that. But then the precise person, there's one more personality in the group. As soon as I start throwing out these pieces, the pre precise personality, they just start to sink in their chairs. Oh, this was a horrible idea. We're never going to get, here's, if you really want to have fun, if you're married to a precise person and you do puzzles, if you really want to have fun, okay, as you open the box, just take two or three pieces and throw them away. This will ruin their year. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You get to the end, and I, I don't care. We didn't get two. They're like, where? Where are they? And we tear the house apart for two or three pieces. This is so important to understand about chemistry. Everybody's different. And, and not only is everyone different, we all change. How many of you are different today now that you have this thing we call a mortgage? How many of you were patient, and then you became a parent? How many of you have seen the changes take place in your marriage and you realize, wow, I'm glad we're committed to one another because this is a season that's pretty tough and we're trying to adjust to this, whether it be empty nest, whether it be the two-year-old, whether, I mean, we all go through different, this is important to understand, chemistry changes, compatibility changes, it wanes. But that's why I like how Dr. David Jeremiah puts it. Integrity is keeping a commitment even after circumstances have changed. It's I've made the decision. To, if, you, if you Google this, you're going to get some very basic ideas of compatibility and chemistry. And these are two of my favorite. Compatibility does not hinge on some personal inventory of traits. Compatibility is not about your personality hinging with their personality. Compatibility isn't something you have. It's something you make. 
It's a process, one that you negotiate as you go along again and again. It's a disposition, an attitude, a willingness to work. When I hear someone use the excuse, we're not compatible, what they're saying is we choose not to get along. We've made the decision not to get along. Listen, my wife and I, night and day, completely different. And this is what makes marriage so much fun. We've made the decision, so we're going to work through it. I mean, again, savings for me was money you put away uh, for a rainy day. Savings for her is the difference between the actual price and the sale price. (laughs) Driving home on your God blessed these roads in Oklahoma, 75 miles an hour back to Branson. Uh, Well, you know, I'll see all signs on the road as laws will be followed. You break one, you go to jail, God stops loving you. Because she's been set free in Jesus, right? (laughs) She she doesn't understand a guilt-prone nature. I was born and raised with a guilt-prone, independent, fundamental, premillennial, King James Version, only Baptist nature. Okay, she, coming from an AG background, she see all, all signs on the road of suggestions for other people. That's not us. For us, celebrating the holidays. Holiday decorating for me was dad bringing out the three-foot pre-decorated tree with a garbage bag over it, putting it on the dehumidifier, pulling off the bag. Joy to the world, the Lord is. So you can imagine every Christmas when I'm pulling the 50th box down out of the attic to decorate our entire home, by the time we get to box 60, I'm in no mood to celebrate the birth of my Lord and Savior. (laughs) We're different, completely and totally different, and we have fun with it. We will drive back today, and we're going to have all that construction going back, and Amy, she'll ask me, because she thinks I know everything. She'll say, what are they doing right here? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what we're doing. I told them, rip it up, boys. (laughs) I want five lanes, not three. I mean, I just, I get into it. And some of you need to take that attitude. Those things that frustrate you in marriage, stop letting them frustrate you. Embrace them and tackle them head on. Enjoy them. My wife, she asks me a million questions, and I answer them, and I, I can't believe I'm still ordained because half the stuff, I make it up on the fly. <laughs> but that, she wants an answer. I know everything, of course, so I'm just going to say, we have a ball with it. Have you ever, you should try going to a movie with us. Now, why did that just happen? I don't know. <laughs> I've never fixed a space shuttle. But what I think's happening, and then I just make it up on the fly. You can't talk about compatibility without talking about compatibility's cousin, chemistry. Chemistry, this is an alluring concept. Too frequently, people use it to absolve themselves of the need to consciously examine their approach to one another. There's something between us that's just not working. No, that, look at you. How are you not? No, it's just, it's this little space between us that we can't seem to make work. It's you. Focus on you. Those are, look at the holy moves. Go, mmm, mmm, mmm. It keeps you from opening your own heart, embracing an unwavering willingness to do the hard work of exploring, knowing, and respecting the other person. One Duke University ethics professor put it this way, the primary challenge of marriage I I couldn't agree more with what he says here. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. 
Anybody here married less than a year? Let me see your hands. You've been married less than a year. Less than a year. And you guys love each other, right? You know why you love each other? Yeah. Because you don't know each other. That's why you love each other. You're going to learn things about each other. You're like, I didn't know this before we got married. Character helps you explore that. Character helps you know that. Character helps you love and embrace that, which moves us to the very next point. Great marriages are the result of service without expectation. Man, wouldn't it be fun to be in a marriage with no expectation? Can I tell you the greatest marriages in the world are where both husband and wife serve one another, love one another, give to one another with no expectation of anything in return? You're like, no, those marriages don't exist. It, I, I encourage you as a couple, we don't have time to jump in it today, to go home as a couple tonight, read John 13. Because we always love to read the, the arguments that the disciples would have about who's the greatest in the kingdom as just two guys duking it out. But who's the greatest in your marriage? Who's the greatest in your marriage? Jesus gets up from the table and does what? He sheds his symbols of authority to wash the feet of the disciples. And then at the end of John 13, he says this, a new command I give you. This is brand new. Some of you, this will, maybe you'll hear it today, but maybe it won't sink in. But I just want to challenge you to begin serving your spouse without expectation of anything being given back to you. As I have loved you, as I have shed my symbols of authority, right? And, he, and what does he say in John 13? The Father has given me all power. I don't say a word that doesn't come from the Father. I don't take a step that doesn't come from I've been given all power, and what am I going to do? I'm going to take this off. I'm going to tie it around my waist, and I'm going to get down, and I'm going to serve. And as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Serving without expectation, this is fun. For some reason, I have a face that screams retail. I can't fully embrace it, but everywhere I go, I get asked the question, do you work here? I'm so tired of being asked that question. I don't fight it anymore. I just go with it. <laughs> I help people with shirt sizes. I open up dressing rooms. I'm in the back looking for shoes. I mean, I'll do whatever it takes to make a person happy. And Amy's like, Ted, you're going to get, I've not been not in trouble yet over this. But a, a, last fall, we were at our favorite cafe in Branson called Sugarleaf. And as I was getting up to go to the restroom, I realized I saw this couple and I could just tell they were frustrated. So I stopped by their table and and I just, I, I looked at both of them, a senior couple, and I said, hey, how was everything? <laughs> and he, I could just tell he was frustrated. He goes, well, th thank you for stopping. I'll be honest with you. We're a little frustrated. Oh, I said, well, tell me what happened. He said, well, your sign said that you had brats. So I stood in line 20 minutes. I get to the front, find out you're out of brats. Just totally frustrated and, and going back. And I went, I'm listening with empathy. I'm getting in, trying to understand the pain that he's dealing with, you know, in life. Going, man, I hope to one day have this be my biggest problem today. Uh, but I just looked at him. I said, sir, what can we do to make this right? He looked at his wife and he's like, well, okay. Well, thank you very much. And he him hawed a little bit. And then I finally said, what if I get you a piece of pie? If I get you a piece of pie, you think that'll make this better and he just he just he just lit up so I go get in line I buy him a piece of pie I bring it back to the table I set it down and he's just he's on top of the world and and he starts asking me questions about the the cafe and I said oh, oh I said sir I don't work here I said I'm, I'm actually having lunch with my family right over there and he looks and then he then he starts looking at the pie 
And it totally threw him off. But let me tell you, I have had more. This is my new hobby. <laughs> and you can start it today. You know how you start it? You're like, because some of you won't be able to do this at home. So I'm going to give you a simpler way to ease into this. When you go to lunch today, on your way to the restroom, get, grab the water jug off the bus station. <laughs> and walk to a table that needs water and just start pouring. And listen, I haven't been stopped yet. <laughs> I haven't been told, don't do that. You know, what, you know what happens? The employees are like, smoke break, and they head out the back. <laughs> as I start filling the waters. But you, why is that so much fun? It's the same reason you travel halfway around the world to do something for people that will never be able to do anything for you in return. You're serving without expectation. But yet in marriage, what do we do? I just said that, and that was the right thing to say, and I'm not getting met with the same coming back at me. And I did this, and I'm hoping for a little something-something because of what I just did. Why ain't I getting it? And then that's serving with expectation. You want to love like Jesus loved as a spouse? You go home and love, you go home and give, you go home and forgive with no expectation of that being returned. And watch what it does in your heart and in your marriage. Watch what happens. Because when you serve with the expectation, I must get something in return, that leads to manipulation every time. Serve without expectation. And then the last one, that great marriage isn't... We want great marriages here in Tulsa, and we want this church to be great backup singers. That's the last one. Great marriages are surrounded with great backup singers. This is the first time in the book we see the daughters of Jerusalem. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. I want to be a great backup singer for my kids. When Corinne comes out in the car, you know, in kindergarten and says, Dad, I think this boy likes me. I don't, I don't want to be that dad that says, no, he doesn't. He's of his father, the devil, and a child of darkness. You stay away from him. <laughs> I, I don't want to be that dad when she comes home as a teenager and goes, Dad, I think I'm in love. No, you're not. How do you handle it when your daughter comes home and tells you she's in love and expresses desires like the Shulamite woman is expressing? Are you a backup singer that goes, you don't know what love is. Love is what your father and I have. I don't want to be that backup singer. I want to teach my kids how important character is. At the book table after the first service, someone came up. Do you have any books on dating? I go, I, yeah, I don't. I haven't written one on dating. She goes, well, you need to. I said, okay. And she goes, what age do you put on it? I go, I don't put an age on dating. She goes, you don't? I go, because I've met a lot. Well, it's, for some reason, we put what age on it? 16. I don't, where did we get the magic number 16? Because I've met a lot of 16-year-olds who act like 10-year-olds. They're not ready to date. I said, I've met a lot of 12-year-olds who act like 20-year-olds. I said, we, we're too obsessed with age. We need to be obsessed with character. And when we see our kids displaying quality character, quality Christ-like character, that's when we stop everything. They have plenty of big moments on the field and plenty of big moments on the stage and plenty of big moments in the classroom. We need to be stopping everything when we see our kids acting like Jesus. We need to celebrate. We need to be like, whoop, whoop. Let's, let's make this happen. Let's throw a parade. Let everyone know it. We want to celebrate character. Because academics and athletics do not raise adults. Parents do. This is our opportunity. And I want to be that backup singer. As my kids are forming relationships going through life, I want to be the daughter of Jerusalem who praises their love more than wine. 
and teaches them how to do it. I'm done with the message, sex is dirty, nasty, and ugly, and save it for the one you love. Mm. No. It's beautiful, and it's, it's in the context of marriage. And Corinne and Carson, I want us to prepare you for marriage. Are you a good backup singer to the marriages that are struggling around you? Here are some bad ways to back up a hurting marriage. We want you to be happy. You deserve better. There's someone out there better for you. No one should have to put up with that. You need some me time. How about this? You've tried everything to make it work. As a pastor, I think I get used a lot on this one. A lot of people want to meet with me. They come in with closed hearts. They're in, in no way, shape, or form desiring to restore or reconcile in their marriage. They just want to be able to go tell their family and friends. We even met with Ted. That didn't work, so we tried everything. To which I go, uh-uh. I'm going to think of about 10 more things we can try because we're not giving up on your marriage. I, I'm like a broken record. I, I beat the same drum all the time at Woodland Hills. Honor, enjoy, and prioritize marriage. It's my prayer for this church as well. That, that you find here in Midtown, and downtown, in DuPage, that, that, that you find joy in your marriage, that you can enjoy your marriage, that you don't have to live with your marriage as the grind, but you can enjoy your marriage in the midst of the grind. And all God's people said, hey, let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for a morning. We're able to look at your word. We're able to laugh. We're able to enjoy marriage. Thank you for the husbands and the wives here that are committed to one another, that they would dig into their character even more to find ways to enjoy life together. For the son, the daughter, the young man, the young woman not yet married, that they would begin to prepare their hearts. They would not go the way of the culture, teaching them that great marriages flow from chemistry and compatibility, but they would be someone who allows their character to trump chemistry every single time. Bless the marriages here. May this be a church that is known throughout Tulsa, throughout Oklahoma, throughout the nation as a great backup singing church. That they rejoice and delight and praise the love of the duets that are singing all around them. And it is in the mighty name of Jesus that everyone agreed and said, amen. Thank you. It's great being with you.